0: Than we ought to. Don't be haughty, high-minded. I mean, we are nothing without Christ. Nothing. Our life is worth nothing apart from Christ. In Christ is all of our treasure. It truly is. What a fantastic song. And to be honest with you, all the songs this morning were focused on uh, the, I'm sorry, I'm doing like two things at once, and I'm a man, that's a problem. Ladies, I was waiting to hear amen, and I didn't hear a one, good for you. <clears throat> they were all about, isn't it true that we're just so happy in the Lord when things go well? Isn't that true? I mean, it's a beautiful day outside. Could you, can you imagine 20 below, snowing, slush, and your car is rusting at the parking lot? What a great day today! How many would hear that? it is it is even in the gloomiest days our god is sovereign amen and praise the lord even in our spiritual warfare that we are fighting every day our god is sovereign amen he is a sovereign god how many of you work at a factory or oh, I know we have some linemen here or linemen wives here, right? <laughs> the last thing we want to hear at our job, whether you're a contractor, whether you're sitting at a, a desk with a computer with billions of dollars of finances there or working with your hands out in the, in, 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 on the lines or wherever we're working, the last words we want to hear are, oops. Right? There's a guy sitting right here that if that happened, we would be without power. The grid going down. I mean, it would be a mess. Folks, oopses happen every day of our lives. But they never happen with God. Never, never happen with God. I don't care if you're a Democrat, well, I do, kind of, but whether you're Democrat, Republican, independent doesn't matter. All of them are wrong. all of them make mistakes. All of them say, "Oops, constantly. What is our faith truly in? Who is our faith truly in? Inflation. Violence. The world, it's obvious. This world is bound for hell. If we live like our world culture wants us to live, we'd be freaking out. True peace only comes from the Lord and our trust in Him for our whole life. Amen? Without that inner peace, there is nothing. Last week, we started with Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along as we preach through this. We've already preached through some of this. And then I I found a little book as I told you the story last week. I was uh, getting a couple books for Lizzie and Blake and when I was looking for those books on Amazon, they have at the bottom suggested more guys that bought this, buy this. Now that is so wrong. (laughs) It is. It's like if you want to be like everybody else, (laughs) well, for me, it was very helpful because a suggested book was this one by J. Adams. It's called How to Overcome Evil, a practical exposition of Romans 12, 14 through 21. And we just so happened to be preaching on Romans chapter 14 verses or Romans chapter 12 verses 14 through 21. So I'm like, well, ah, dude, I, there goes another five bucks. Right? How many have ever read anything from Jay Adams? He does a good job. He does a very practical job. Does that make sense? Practical. And so, you know me, I'm kind of bent theologically. How many would agree with that? That's kind of where I'm at. That's my focus. And if I get so theological many times, I'm expecting you to understand the practical applications. But sometimes there's a disconnect. How many get that? Sometimes it doesn't work that way. It's like, whoa, that went right over my head or what, what in the world is he talking about or whatever. I'm, how many get that? I don't want that to happen. That's not helpful for you. So what I decided to do was, since I've already preached you most of this already theologically, and you have the, inf- the information and the truth. We're going to go through it practically. What does this mean? And there's some things that J. J Adams brought up that are very fantastic and I think very helpful in this. I'm going to rewind through this like we did last week because we preached through, I don't know, 15 to 20 slides and there's about 40 of them. So we're going to go through those quickly, but many of you are new. How many of you were not here last Sunday? All right. By the way, Good to see you here. Good to have you here. I hope I can meet you before we leave. The Bible says right away, do not be overcome by." in chapter verse 21. So J. Adams, so, by the way, this, so this is not original with me. How many understand that? I read the book and then, uh, of course, I've got a lot of input into this. But I, so I'm not like reciting word for word. How many understand that? But J. Adam, this is all based on this book and his understanding of the text. How many understand that? So this is not my normal MO. How many understand that? Okay, it's a little different than normal, but I think it's really important. J. Adam starts at Romans 12.21 because he sees in verses 14-21 through 21 that we are in a spiritual battle. And we are. I mean, you don't have to go very far and realize you're in a spiritual battle. Battle. Your emotions are not going to take you through that battle well. Amen? When we let our emotions fly willy-nilly, things are not going to go well. And so this is a, a whole list of principles of how we are as Christians to fight the spiritual battle. How are we to do that? How do we know, first of all, this is a spiritual battle? Well, we find it right away in the first in verse 21, do not become do not be overcome. What's that word overcome mean? Ukrainian forces have been overcome with Russian forces in general. That's exactly what the word's saying. It's a war, battle, fight word. We've overcome the enemy, right? We've overwhelmed them. We overcome them. So this is warfare language. No question. Do not be overcome by what? By evil. Christians are not to be overcome by the evil. Meaning, we are in the battle. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are in the battle. We are, and that's the point, right? We are in battle. How many of you? watched some of these songs and sang some of them about the trials and 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 tribulations that we as christians will face it's not a this is not listen if you think putting your faith and trust in christ is going to make your life perfect awesome and a million dollars and health and wealth this is the wrong church for you because that's not what the text says The text says you will be persecuted. You will go through hard times, but I have your back, amen. In the end, I will win the victory, praise God. So here's the battle. The realization in this verse we find immediately is we will be persecuted. It's already happening in this God-forsaken country now. Unfortunately, it's a country that was built on And I love this. I'm just going through book after book after book on Christian history of the Americans. Do you know how early it started? Anybody have an idea? It started actually in the 1500s. Actually, 1400s. In the 1400s. And and, and wave after wave of people, the Spanish came in. What were they preaching? Roman Catholicism. To Mexico, New Mexico, and Florida. The French came in. What were they preaching? Roman Catholicism in Newfoundland, in Canada, Quebec, right? Then you have England come in. By the way, what what was happening to England at that time? Say, what does this even matter? This is important stuff because this is how our country was founded. So you have Roman Catholics coming from the north, Roman Catholics coming from the south, Mm -hmm. and then you have right in the middle, you have this issue of Protestantism. What happened is Queen Elizabeth just threw away Roman Catholicism, said we won't have anything to do with it, and they turned their church into what's called Anglican. How many remember it? So you have... Methodists, Presbyterians, and you can go down, Baptists, you can go down the list, Mennonite. all these people started coming from all different areas and colonizing America. That's how America started. They were throwing people out of town for having the wrong theology. How many believe me? I'm telling you, that's what happened. The Salem witch huts, what were they about? I mean, this was an absolute Christian-focused country. Let me ask you, oh, how far have we gone? And how far is it going to go? We are in a spiritual battle. How many get that? Now, how do we do that? So we know we're going to be cursed. We know there's going to be issues. But the deal is, we are responsible to fight it. Amen? So this, doesn't it preclude this statement, the text of the word here? Doesn't it preclude that, okay, I'm in the battle and I am supposed to fight it? Yes or no? Absolutely we're supposed to fight it. Because otherwise it would say, say, you know, just let me deal with it. Just, Just slide by. But it says, don't overcome evil, but don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So we are the fighters. We are the soldiers. Romans chapter 6. Or Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So you look cool? So you can be part of a video game? No, it's so that we can fight the battle with swords and. And, and, and shields and armor. Helmets, amen? You can look at the whole armor more of that soldier in Rome, Ephesians 6. The last thing we find in this text is that Christians are to overcome. They're to win. By the way, we will win. Why? Because Christ, that's Why? So we saw this last week, and do not overcome by do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, how that this is a common thing, even in the earliest church. In Thessalonians, we're talking the church isn't even hundred years old yet. And they're talking about persecution then. You look at guys like the name of Stephen who are stoned, and Paul who was stoned. James, who was thrown off the pillar of the temple, they hated these guys. They wanted them dead. They wanted them out of here. They were in a battle. Not only was it a spiritual one, but they saw the effects of it physically. I will argue that we will too one day. It will happen. Christians, though, are equipped to win the battle because as nothing can defeat the Word of God. Amen? Nothing. This book is absolute truth. This is not Fox News. Even though they might have a conservative bend, this is absolute truth. Nothing can thwart it. Wouldn't it be nice to know that all the facts you were given were absolute truth? How many would love that information? You have it. You only have it in the Word of God. Try asking your five kids why all the cookies are gone after you get home from a uh, date with your wife. Mm -hmm. See if you can find truth there. Or, even better, get a bunch of Democrats and Republicans together in the White House, and let's see if we can find truth there. This is the only thing we, have, we can stand on. It's our only war, means of warfare. The Word of God. Christians are fighting evil. What kind of evil? Like unbelievers. We fight unbelievers. Like Judas. We fight people like, like Peter and Paul. Did they clash with each other? Yes! Yes! Over what? The Word of God. They fought with Judas, what? Over the Word of God. They killed, he sent Jesus to his death. So, sinning believers, unbelievers, and even the devil's servants. I think it's very clear that Hitler was used of Satan to slaughter millions of Jewish people. Now, that can be argued, I understand. But there are millions of Satan roaming about seeking whom they can devour. And they will devour those that are of Christ or affiliated with Christ. Uh, why do these evils come against Christians? Well, oh, Because they're a Christian. That's the whole point. Evil is against Christianity and Christians because they are Christian. They are of Christ. They are followers of Christ. Amen. And He is the one that they hate the worst. They want to knock out, if you will, the kingpin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, okay, if we're supposed to fight evil, how are we supposed to fight that? Well, we find in different texts that you are the light of the world. Is that not true? What does that mean? You're the light of the world. What does it mean that we're the light of the world? You can talk, it's okay. You are what people see of Christ. How many have seen Christ? Thank you. Honesty. (laughs) No one has seen Him here. We only know Him here. That's what true faith is, right? You are the representative of Christ for this world. Ephesians 5, 8, at one time you were in darkness, but God brought you out of the light, out into the light, amen? Brought us from darkness to light. You are now the light in the Lord. Christians are light and the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Therefore, because you are light, you cannot fight the battle with evil. Amen? I'll get them back. Curse be you. That is not Christianity. Christianity warfare is godly. And we'll get into that by the end of the message today. Okay verse 14. Let's get back let's get up into so that's how many understand that we're in a battle. Did I make it abundantly clear we're in a battle? Now, how are we to act? How are Christians to act in that battle? What are they to be doing? The Bible says in verse 14, "Bless those who persecute you; bless and do not curse." It's very interesting that 14 and 21 are very similar. Do you notice that? Curse would be evil, right? Blessings would be good, right? The weapons of our warfare, because we are of the light, in the light, and the light, must be good. Therefore, we bless. And we talked about that at nauseum to be honest with you. Christians are in a battle. The battle is against evil. Evil will never win against evil. It won't ever work. How many remember the illustration we used last week about evil with evil? It's like a pop gun. If you're gonna to go to battle, would you get a paintball gun or a howitzer? How many understand that? This 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 evil tactics are worthless. Christians are to only use good to defeat evil, not evil. Amen. We saw that very emphatically. In uh, matter of fact, we'll go to this. Take your Bibles. Go to John one. We did not do this last week, and we need to do that because it's excellent. John chapter one. Could Jesus Christ had come? Could he have come the first time with a sword? on a horse. Did He? No. He came as a lamb to the slaughter. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being now he's trying to set up okay christ, we know the word is christ we're going to accept that right correct how many understand that sorry i picked up this phone on over there it's accepted and understood that the word is jesus christ how many would agree with that i don't want to have to We can go through that. You can look it up. Everybody agrees with this. Now, verse 4 is where we want to get to. So Christ, in Christ was life. In the Word, in Christ. Same person, same being. In Him was life, and the life was the what? Light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then it talks about this man. It's interesting. This is Christ. He was the light of the world. To shine in the darkness. Verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which was coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came into his own. Who's that talking about? Jews. Jews. And, the, and those who came into his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to them gave he the right to be called the children of God, even to those that believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In essence, that text is saying we have been born of God. How many say amen, amen, amen to that? If we're born of God, then we are the only light left here on this earth physically. And we are in a battle, and how dare we as light use darkness to defeat darkness? How insanity is that? That's, that, that can't happen. But Let me ask you, I know I can be honest with you, right? It's happened in my life too many times. I called someone a moron yesterday. And this drove right into my heart. I'm not going to give you an excuse. I'm going to tell you what happened. How many have ever been down to the cities lately? First of all, that was a dumb idea on my part. (laughs) I was coming uh, on 101, coming into 169, and there's all this... If you've been down there, there's construction all over. Everybody starts going up to 55 miles an hour as you're going through. What's the name of that town right there? Elk River. Rogers. Is it Rogers? Wherever. Doesn't matter. There's this huge four-lane highways. I don't know if it's 45. 50. I don't know what it is. I'm not kidding you. This car pulled out. Ah, what would you say, priya 30 feet while I was going 45. I slammed on my brakes. What's that? (laughs) I was so mad. Are you kidding me? Do you know why I said that? Because that's what the world says. Because I think I deserve better. That's the reality of it. I was wrong. And we do this constantly. What good does it do to call the guy a moron? What good did that do? Literally, any good? No. Let me ask you. If he keeps driving that way, I should be telling him about Jesus. Right? Because he is not long for this earth. He needs the Lord. The reality is, Christians are to follow Christ's example as light. We are... The light representatives, we don't throw off darkness. When's the last time you see a flashlight throw off darkness? Even what they call black light shows something. Right? Light disperses darkness. It overcomes darkness. Praise the Lord, Lord willing, if the rapture doesn't happen. That big orange ball is going to come out of the east tomorrow morning. And it will vacate the darkness. Amen? And tonight, as you see the glimmering light shimmer on the clouds as it goes over the, sun, uh, the sunset over the horizon, remember, He's still with us. And He will be there tomorrow. Amen? We are that representative. Christians are to follow what it says in John 1. Be the light that John the Baptist was to be. Amen. Overcome is a war. There's victor and there's a loser. Christ's going to win in the end. Christ will win in the end. Do not be defeated in battle by evil, but in battle defeat evil. How? With good. With good. So, So we understand that this the premise of the whole foundation of all these verses above it, verse 21 is, we are deliverers and battlers of good. Amen? That's what it's saying. We are deliverers, we are fighters, and our battle, our sword, our grenade, our guns are all good. It's good. Romans 12, 21. Our commander-in-chief implores us to, to defeat evil in battle with good. We must understand that that is a quote from James Adams. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6. We are not to be, I'm going to go through these quickly or we'll never get through again. We're not to be pacifists. We're not to be conscientious objectors. We are to be light, and light is aggressive. Is it not? It is aggressive. Christians are to be the most militant force this world has ever known. For the good. For the good. The Christian who tries to combat the enemy on his own terms, on his, in his own way, is an absolute fool. Christ has provided ways and means that he blesses when they are used in his name according to the directions of His Word. How ridiculous is it when we have all the tools to use at our disposal through the Word of God and we use our own mind? That's ridiculous. We own our own tactics to defeat evil. Do you really think you're smarter than Satan? I mean, think about that. How dumb is that? By the way, when Christians use evil tactics to defeat evil, it is impossible, and they choose to lay aside God's arsenal that is designed to win the combat against evil. That's what we're doing. I'm choosing to lose. How many love that phrase that we're choosing to lose? When we use evil against evil, we are choosing to lose because we are choosing not to use the good that god has given to defeat the evil the christian vigorously overcomes evil by doing good by returning good for evil you are demanding better of your persecutor than he has given you so far when you do good you show love towards one another bless those the bible says then bless those that persecute you are you following here Says, bless and curse not bless and do not curse Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Furthermore, the more a Christian lives like Christ, the more he will suffer like Christ. And we need to bless those that persecute us. How many of you, I'm not going to use a name, but it's not hard to figure out. How many of you have blessed those that are in charge of you that God has put in charge of us? I'm guessing there's a few screws loose in the language that we have used against that person that God has put in charge of us. We say that about Him. We're to bless them, not curse them. It does no good. John chapter 16, verse 33, These things have I spoken to you, that, you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. What word did he just use? The same word he used in verse 21. I, have, I will win the battle. I have overcome it. I've already won it, by the way. They just don't know it. The more a Christ Christian lives like Christ, the more he will suffer like Christ. If you've never experienced persecution, maybe you're not truly a Christian. Possible. Maybe you're not living as a Christian should. Suffering may be right around the corner. All of those are true. Bless and do not curse. We dealt with this <clears> at <throat> nauseum last week. What was the whole issue? How are we going to bless them that curse you? We have to prepare. Do you remember that? We have to prepare. Are people going to make fun of you? Yes or no? How are you going to react? If you wait and allow your emotions to react, how's that going to work? We have to be prepared to bless them, to show love to them, and it gets even worse as we uh, in our human mind worse as we get down the text Romans twelve fourteen. Man says curse. God says. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 12. <clears throat> it says this. <coughs> when we were reviled in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is saying, When we were reviled, we blessed. When we were persecuted, we endured. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dredge of all things, even until now. This was the greatest, I would argue, one of the greatest preachers the world has ever seen in Paul. And what did he say he was? The dredge of this world. How many love being the dredge of the world? That was Paul. Proverbs chapter 6, 26. The Bible says this 4 and 5. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of judgment of God. Who will render to each person according to his what? Deeds. We are to be vigilant of the day right now because the days are what? Evil. And we're to fight them how? With how we supposed to fight the evil, the text. Good. It's gonna be a constant theme, and I just want to make sure we get this. Matthew 5:44, Romans 2.4. I'm not gonna go through all of this. We went through this last week. What and we ended, we got really close to ending with this. The whole issue here is this. We need to ask, what can I do for them? Not what? What can I do to them? That's a huge difference, is it not? What can I do for them? Listen, how many have ever seen an angry person? Immediately, mine should be what can I do for them? How can I help them? We focus on them. And how Christ can help them because we're the light. They're the darkness. Do we understand this? What can we do for them? Not what we can do to them. Christians are to focus on others and Christ's love cares about others' eternal state. It's not about our self-pity. It's about their soul. That's a huge difference. Therefore, those who also suffer according to to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Christians are to fight evil with good. I'm going to keep asking you that till I get the whole congregation saying good because then you get the idea of what's going on here. That's found in 1 Peter 4.19. We must pray for the souls and do what is right. God and God alone We'll deal with the justice. We find that really soon here. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. We talked about this. That's talking about how that we need each other. We need to empathize with each other. We need to sympathize with each other. We do not go to battle by ourselves. Amen? Amen? You see, we've got a sniper. but We also have infantry. We also have the defense shield and guys that know how to run it. How many understand this? We're talking warfare, right? All different facets. We have planes. We have tanks. We use them all. We're not out there by ourselves. We need each other. We've all seen war movies. When our guys get put back behind enemy lines and they're calling out, where is our support? Where's our, our, our sup- plane support that can destroy? We're under major fire. Listen, matter of fact, in World War II, we know that they literally drew, they gave their own positions to destroy with bombs and hopefully they could survive because the enemy was so close. We need each other. And listen, we're all different. You put Mr. Zarin, Mr. Gaiman, and myself all on the stage. First of all, we don't look alike at all. There's only one good-looking guy on that. I'm not going to tell you his name. <laughs> but number, it's Tim. <laughs> it's Tim, right? <laughs> right? Right? Very good. <laughs> but man, we're totally different. I'm bringing the baseball bat. Right? Someone else is going to be... Hey, hey, let's just think about this a little bit. we are all got different aspects to it. And we all come to... I tell you what, I, I tell you what, I love... And by the way, you are blessed to have the elders you have. Amen? All different facets come from different ways. We disagree on things. It's okay, as long as it's not the gospel and doxology and and the orthodoxy. A man. I praise the Lord for what God has given us here that we work together so well, but so different. So very different. We need each other. That's what this text is saying. So we're in battle, we need each other to help each other. That's what it's saying. Romans 12, verse 15. The next verse, we have the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Verse 16, could you imagine that guy with a 22 that thinks, I'm going to rule the world! And runs out in battle. How's that going to go? Not very far and not very well. This does not mean in war that we think exactly alike. We just talked about different, different, are there different personalities? Absolutely. Are there different giftedness? Says. Absolutely, why? Because we're in a battle and God wants everybody involved in their unique giftedness to serve Him, amen. You don't want me baking at all, asked my wife. But smoking a pig or a beef? I can handle that. But a pie? No, not really. Not at all. We all have different gifts Different ways of serving. Praise God, use them all. Remember the picture? A black and white picture that bring it to color and it just comes to life. That's what the church is. So this does not mean in war we think exactly alike. That's absurd. The idea is we have the same attitude toward God, the same attitude toward the world, and the same attitude towards one another. We all love God. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen? We all are not of this world. Amen. <laughs> and we all know we need to love each other and serve each other for the kingdom of God. Amen. Romans 12, 16. You see, our unity is not let's get down to the lowest common denominator. Amen. But our unity in that is that we have the same information. Where's that from? The Word of God. As much as I love our Constitution, it pales in comparison to the Word of God. Amen? We have the same power. The Holy Spirit indwells every single believer. You know that, man, I don't know if I should have done that or not or I should do that or not. Who do you think that is? What do you think? He's trying to help you. If you're saturated in the Word, filled with the Holy Spirit, man, it's easier to live your life pleasing to God. And that's your desire. If not, you're going to have a hard time. We have the same objective. What is the objective? Glorify God. Amen? We have the same foe. That foe is evil. So let's take it apart a little bit more. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. This is important because we're going to get down to verse 19, and people think more highly than they ought to think, and we just mess up. The pride is horrible. You cannot have all captains in the army. Many persons are needed for the, for the day-to-day normal activities that are required to sustain an army, to make war. Matter of fact, we watched all this war on, on TV, did we not? On the news, where the Ukraine and Russia were going at it. Remember that line, what was it? 14 miles long or maybe longer, I don't remember. The supply line to supply the tr- Russian troops in Ukraine. How many remember the pictures? You know, all that Ukraine had to do was disrupt it, and they did! Not only that, they didn't plan ahead. They didn't have gas. It just was a mess. We need all of us together or it's going to be disastrous. Adam says it this way. I like it. He says, each of us must be willing to take a humble piece of peeling spuds. You remember? Okay, one of my favorite, one of my favorite TV shows I'll give you. Yeah, I watched TV and I, I do watch TV once in a while. But Here's the deal. How many remember Hogan's Heroes? I love Schultz because he was absolute German. <laughs> but do you remember the peeling of the stud, uh, studs? Yes. The peeling of the spuds, the potatoes. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's just for the guys that aren't in the planes or what. We need. You need the French fries to fly the planes. Do you get it? Or the baked potato. All that's important. It's all important. If, <coughs> if need be, happily, sur- <coughs> <coughs> happily, happily serving Christ wherever and however He wants us to serve Him. In other words, and I said it this way, we can't be too big for our britches. We have a role. We fulfill that role, Romans chapter. Do not be wise in your own estimation. The sun does not rise and set on your opinions. It's about others. Others can help you and you can help others. Soldiers in the army are interdependent. Only someone who is blinded by pride cannot concede to that. <clears throat> now, all new information. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Romans 12, 17 gets to some really heavy hitting. <clears throat> Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. What's different about this? Bless them that curse you, do not overcome evil or overcome evil with good. Bless them to persecute you. What's different about this verse 17? Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. How many of you <clears throat> see this word never there? How many of you look at Scripture and say, yeah, there's black and white, but there's a lot of gray people say that how many have heard that before let me ask you that well folks there's no gray here How, how many see this there is absolutely positively no gray in this verse it's absolutely no exceptions never pay evil for evil never what does that mean it's not hard unless you have a theological bend and wanted to say something else it means never. There's no, there's no exceptions. Never take your own revenge. Never even up the score. Never even. Someone would say, well, can't I ever give back what he deserves? No, that's not your job. I will tell you this, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not retaliate. We as Christians are to do good. The underlying foundation of doing good is loving others. It's that simple. Love does not retaliate. The second part of that verse, respect what is right in the sight of men. What does that mean, respect what is right in the sight of men? When we look at that in the English, we look at it and say, well, it's like, you know, treat one another well, right? Well, it's it may include some of that but let me give you what the word respect is it means take thought for what does that mean take thought for it means plan ahead is persecution coming yes or no are you ready? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm ready. I built this bunker, and I got all this food, and I got some dry food, and I made some... De- uh, 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 I bought one of those dehydrator, not dehydrator, freeze dryers, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm stoked. I got a thousand guns. I'm ready to go. That's not what that's saying. That's not what that's saying at all. Now, do we need to be wise? Yes. So I'm not poo-pooing everything I just said, although I'm making it ridiculously sounded, Right? What does it mean to prepare ahead? How am I going to handle these guys? They're going to persecute me. How many understand that? If you don't plan ahead, what are you going to do? The tea kettle's going to blow up. The top's coming off. Your emotions are going to rule the day. And they stink. And they're not good. Think ahead is the idea. Deliberately plan for a response. Make sure every response is biblically motivated and biblically settled in principle. Amen? There is no easy or quick path to holiness or to change. We don't get zapped into good deeds. How many of you are Christians? Say amen. All right. Y'all remember that all of a sudden. Now I'm perfect. Did that happen? No, it takes studying in God's Word. Matter of fact, this last few months, all of us have been faced with our sin issues, have we not? According to the text. We are all growing in this. Nobody has ascended. I'm sorry, but but John Wesley was absolutely wrong with his perfectionism idea that we can become sinless on this earth. No, we cannot. We are sinners saved by grace. But I will tell you this, we will live more like Christ the more we're saturated in His Word. Amen? It needs to be who we are. We need to plan this. There's no zapping. There's, the Bible says this. Okay. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say, uh, I'll try to read it. I got the verse here. Be zapped to show yourself approved unto God. Is that what it says? What does it say? There's a word there that many young people hate and many adults hate. I'm getting to love it more and more to be honest with you. What's the word? Study! How many love the word study? (laughs) I tell you what, when you have a puzzle or when you have a, a... do you remember your child's playground set? And you're like, (laughs) yeah, you get halfway through. Maybe I better go read the what? Instructions. Maybe I better do. How many have let's be honest, how many have ever done that? Gotten through half the project and oh, I better read the instructions. Two people, y'all liars. Especially you men. I worked with you. I know. We study. The same thing goes with our spiritual lives. The most important job you have is to serve God. How can you serve God if He doesn't know how He wants you to, how he wants you to serve Him? Study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Uh, how? Rightly dividing the Word of truth, the Word of God. Most evil for evil responses are emotionally driven and therefore selfishly motivated. Plan what is fine and beautiful in the sight of men. That's the idea of the verse. Reply in such a way that even unbelievers are forced to acknowledge that it was well done. How many, Well played. How many have heard that? There's an argument going on the guy just totally destroys it with a soft answer of godliness, and he's like, well played. I'm, I'm speechless. Amen! What is fine, it, 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 finesse is, is the idea that is t- talked about here. <clears throat> if possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You see, Pastor, it says, if possible, be at peace. But if not, well then just go have at it. That's not what it's saying. It's not what it's saying at all. You can always win the battle with evil. That depends on you. How are you going to fight? Fight evil with... You can always win that battle. You can always win an inner peace. That's up to you because you're going to rely on the Lord. Amen? Amen? You can't always have peace with your defeated enemy. That part's on Him. Does that make sense? You can invite Him. You can love Him. You can encourage Him. But you can't control Him to come to the table. That's what it's talking about if possible. We still don't change what we do. We do what is good. But in the end, we can't make Him come. The goal is peace by the way, it's not winning. Amen? The goal is peace. Verse 19 has another one of these absolutes, right? I even have it highlighted. Never take your own revenge. Let me ask you, Is this? could you say, verses 14 all the way down through verse 19, this is what it's saying. Never take your own revenge. Is that what it's saying? Absolutely. Why should I not take all my own revenge? Well, beloved, talking to Christians, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is a big deal. God's good actions based on an understanding of Scriptures and desire to please God <coughs> by obedience to those Scriptures will lead to good attitudes. We must focus on the person who has wronged us and not on ourselves and our self-pity. Our actions and attitudes will be influenced by our understanding and acceptance of biblical limitations placed on our authority and our ability. In essence, listen, we do not have the authority to take revenge. That's God's and God's alone. Man, I don't hear anybody saying amen to that, and that is a huge deal. We have not been given the authority to take revenge. Now, for a second here, I want you to think about this. This is why this is so important. Who does have the authority? Well, that's easy. Who is it? God. Now let me ask you, who has God put on this earth as authority. There's two things. There's church and then Romans 13. What is it? Government. This is, gr- this is a huge unfortunate thing. Whoever divided out these chapters really blew it. because and by the way how many understand that the chapter breaks and verse breaks are not inspired how many understand that please understand that because here's the deal what's the context here we cannot take vengeance against somebody we do not do and take care of the evil who does god does ultimately but who else does the government do you see what's going on? Within the context of obeying the covenant government govern, government in chapter 13, that context is about dealing with evil, disciplining evil. How many understand that? That is the context. It's right here. We're dealing with it right now. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Our actions and our attitudes are influenced when we rightly understand that is not my job to take vengeance. That's God's. And whoever he places in authority. Number two, not only do I have, do I not have the job or am i allowed to do that i don't have, I, that's not given to me that's god's number two i don't even have the ability i have i don't have the let me ask you can you judge the way god judges no that's that's a ludicrous statement is it not no We can't. Vengeance does not belong to us, nor do we have the ability to do it right. That's what it's trying to say in verse 19. Why can we not take vengeance? I've already just said it. Only God has the authority and we do not have the ability. Neither of those are true. Vengeance is a rebellious act that Scripture truly forbids. Look down on your side, Christian. I love this. I love this. This It's my favorite part of of this book. He was just colorful. And it it fits me to a T because this is where I'm at. Here's what he says. Look down on your sides, Christian. See the holster and the guns? Talking about vigilantism. Just, Just listen. Loosen the belt. Untie the cord around your thigh. Let the guns fall off as you sink to your knees before God in repentance, confessing your sin and seeking his Father's forgiveness. Our Wild West days are over. Is that a colorful picture or what? It's not up to me to be a vigilante guy. That's God's. It's God's. By the way, It's not saying that it's wrong for Christians to have guns. Amen? If that's wrong, I'm toast. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about vigilanteism. It's talking about vengeance. Why? Why is it talking about vengeance? Because vengeance is equal to wrath. They're They're synonymous. Vengeance is wrath. And who has... Right wrath. God and God alone. The Bible says it this way do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one law governor and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you? Do you see the text? Who do you think you are? Who are you to judge your neighbor? What is he saying? You have no idea what's going on in that man's heart. God knows and God alone. You don't. You don't know. What does the text say? Again, it's about this vengeance. And vengeance is about somebody that has wronged you. And how are we to act? We're to not give it to evil. We're to do what? Good. But if your enemy is hungry, what do we do? Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, I have always understood this to be his conscience will bother him and you're 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 just fueling the fire of conscience. How many understand that? I always understood it that. Anybody understand it any differently? All right, I'm going to give you a different view of what this possibly could be. <clears throat> By the way, is this a metaphor? Yes or no? Do we have? Do we know for sure what the metaphor is trying to explain? How many understand? We might have a good idea, but you know it. We could be wrong. <clears throat> Try this. You feed him. That's a coal. You give him drink. That's a coal. You pray for him. That's a coal. You, and, and you go on and on. With, is it possible heaping coals of fire on his head is all the good works you're showering him with? I've never thought of it that way. Never thought of it at all that way. Is it possible yeah, because that's what you're doing. Now, in the end, will that end up hurting his conscience of what he's doing evilly? Sure. So I don't think it's, it's bad or right or whatever. I th- the point is, we need to be showering our enemies with good. We don't even do a one good thing for them, let alone shower them. Oh, but when we understand it as, we're going to hurt them, oh, we're going to shovel a lot. Isn't that true? Let me share with you what Jesus Christ said in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for who? Is there any greater good than that? Not only did he just die, not only did he die for the ungodly, but look who else he died for. He not only died for the ungodly, but while we were yet what? Sinners, Christ died for us. Not only that, it gets worse when we were enemies. Christ died for us. Now that's heaping a lot of coal on people who don't deserve it. If it is the good that he's doing to us, which is what is possible. How want you to understand that? The reality is, the principle of all of this is by the way, Lord willing, next week, we will get into um, the end of 12 and 13 to give context to Romans chapter 13. I will say this, and I will say it very emphatically. There's not a one person in here is going to like what I'm going to say next week. nobody, because no matter which way I take it, it's going to be bad. How many understand? How many yeah, so here's, you know, I've I decided to become a new evangelical, liberal. And so what we're going to do is going to skip it. So then everybody still likes me. How many are you going to leave the church if that happens? You better. You better. We're not going to skip a verse because it's too hard or it's not. Even the tough ones, and I would say this is probably one of the toughest verses I'm going to start preaching on next week. Not only because of the text, which is huge, but I think there is a context here that's very obvious. But also because of practical theology. Does that make sense? When do you disobey the government? Do you disobey the government? These are questions that hit home even now, closer to us than we would have ever imagined. That's why one of my favorite preachers used to preach this, that even the, even the Revolutionary War was against God, it was a sin to do. And then when COVID hit, he said, forget you government, I'm going to do this anyway." It's seemingly total reversal. How many understand? Why? Because you weren't in that situation. You didn't understand all the ramifications of it. Nor do we understand all the ramifications of Scripture. But as we go through life, we will change when we realize those. Does that make sense? So, <clears throat> on the cusp of the most terrifying sermons I'm going to preach in the next 4 weeks. We have to understand the principle here. The principle of Romans 12:14 through 21 is meeting needs is fundamental to planning how to do good to others or another. Does that make sense? That's what this text is all about. Doing good no matter what they've done to us for others. Because that's our warfare. By the way, that's a quote from Jay Adams. I pray that this was helpful practically. It takes the whole thing in a package unit. How many understand that? We quickly went through it instead of dissecting each and every word or it's like each each phrase as we do usually. This took the whole thing as a whole and brought it together. And I think it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. And it gives us a foundation of where we're going next. Because it's talking about evil. Can you read 14 through 21 and not get the good evil issue? And that vengeance doesn't belong to us. That's all God thing. Amen. All right, this time Mr. Gaiman's going to come, but before he comes, I'm gonna, Mr. Gaiman and Mr. Zarin are going to go to the office. And some of you, I know two of you have asked, three of you have already asked, but we've already heard the testimony of one, but two of you have come forward and want, want to be baptized. So you need to give your testimony to them back in the bread room back there. So I invite you to go back there. You can go back one at a time, okay? Just hang out by the door. if others want to be baptized which we're doing baptism at the end of this month, uh, where are we having where are we having the uh, uh, picnic? Has that been set? Okay, we have an elders meeting Wednesday, so next week we'll know exactly where we're heading. Um, but Lord willing, if it's a good day, we're going to have a public baptism by the way. When I say baptism, it's understood. It's always public. That's the point, right? So, what we—that's why we don't have a baptismal here. The reason we don't have now if there's pros and cons. The reason we don't have a baptismal here is we believe it's for all the world to see, not just this little ingrown world. Does that make sense? It's a t- public testimony to the world. I'm identifying with Jesus Christ, and this is my public confession. So we go to a public beach, whether it's uh, Blandon Beach, whether it's the one out on Paquagama Pioga Beach. That one gets really cold, by the way. (laughs) We go to the beach, and uh, you can ask Maria about Blandon Beach. We were... We were baptized as Lutherans going there, but then we did the right thing and immersed when we got there. <laughs> it was pouring rain. <laughs> it was horrible. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, that was a lot of baptism. How many got baptized that day? Well, okay, how many got immersed that day? <laughs> there were quite a few that got immersed that day. We'll praise the Lord. We praise the Lord for these young men, young women, older men, maybe older women too, that want to identify publicly with Christ and follow Him in believer's baptism. Baptism does not save. It never has. It never will. It gives us a picture of what God has done to our life. Totally made us clean. Amen. And identifies us with Him with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we immerse. By the way, just so you know, you can look at that word baptism in the the Bible. That is actually transliterated. It's not translated. If they would have translated it like one version does, and it's the American Sunday School Society version, every time it says baptism, guess what it says? Immersed. Because that's what it is. It's immersed. It's going under the water and coming back up in newness of life as a picture to the world. Something that's already happened. So Mr. is going to come So don't forget that, Mr. Gaiman. Please stand, pray with me, and we'll be dismissed this morning. Father, thank you for the power of your word and the practical instruction that we receive from it. And I pray that we would all be about planning to do good to others in obedience to you and because that's how we reflect Christ to the world. Thank you in Jesus' name.